Please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Genesis 31. You can sit down because we're going to read all of Genesis 31 this morning. And if you didn't peek ahead, it's 55 verses. So. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from that, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But when God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done, that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and not did not tell me, so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away, because you have longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. 
in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have done that it, or what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let my Lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar, and Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one of others, each other's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, no one with us see, God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning... Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray this morning that you would take your word and make it effective in our lives. Instruct us, exhort us, correct us, encourage us and build us up by it. Lord, open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your law, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is a long story. And there's a lot of detail in the story, uh, but it's a it's it's a it's not a boring story, is it? Uh, it's one of uh, intrigue. You kind of wonder what's coming next. Uh, if if Laban's going to find the gods when he goes searching through the tents, is Rachel going to get busted? Is Jacob going to be found out for having threatened the life of whoever took the gods? And then you kind of wonder, you know, 
it doesn't say specifically, but most commentators think that Laban certainly outnumbered Jacob. You know, he came with all of his kinsmen. He came with intent to do harm, and you wonder what the outcome will be. And at the end, you're, at least I am a little bit surprised at what happens. You see, God had been protecting Jacob all along. And today is Father's Day, and so it's, I normally don't stop in a text to, to preach a Father's Day or a Mother's Day sermon, but the, the text and today lined up perfectly for us to talk about our perfect Heavenly Father who does protect us. When we think about our earthly fathers, we understand for those, well, we have fathers, but for those of us who are fathers, we, we kind of understand that it's, it's kind of one of the main motives of a father to protect. It's, uh, it's typically in a father's desire to protect. And both of my daughters are smirking at me right now, which caught me a little bit off guard. But yes, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a father's deal to protect. And uh, some fathers do it better than others. And you may have stories where you feel disappointed in how your father failed to protect you or whatever. But we do understand that it's at least a good thing for a father to protect us. A lot of us are unaware of how our fathers protected us. We're not even aware of the things that they did. And sometimes we find out those things later in life and and realize with appreciation typically of the length that they went to to protect us. Um, At times it's standing in the way of danger. At other times it's removing us from danger. And then every teenager's favorite It's establishing guidelines and imparting wisdom that will protect you from danger. And if you remember your teenage years, you you probably remember you didn't want to receive that protection. But you usually, in your 20s, begin to realize that it was protection. And and if you were like me, came back to your father and said, thank you. Uh, My 19-year-old son came to me this week and thanked me for something that he and his mother uh, his mother and I did to protect him from something that seemed pretty trivial that we didn't realize, but he sees it now at his age as protection and said, thank you. We don't even, we're not even aware of the many ways that God has protected us. Uh, when I was a kid, we had chickens and we had this one particular rooster who was um, possibly demon possessed. Um, it was, he was, he terrified us. I mean, he was so mean. If he got out of the chicken coop, he would chase us. And I remember one time where he, it wasn't that he tackled me, but he, he tripped me up and he got on top of me and just, he would try to peck and claw. And I was scared of this rooster. Well, on one particular occasion, the rooster got out of the chicken coop. And whenever that happened, it was very problematic. And in this case, it was particularly problematic because my dad was in the hospital. He had um, he managed to cut his finger off in a table saw, and so he was in the hospital dealing with that. And so my mom, uh, in an effort to catch this rooster, went after it with a broom. And as you might have imagined, it didn't go so well. And the rooster ended up, well, my mom thought the rooster was dead. So she went up to the hospital, and she tearfully told Dad how she had killed the rooster with a broomstick. Uh, trying to get it back in the chicken coop and to keep it from attacking her. And my dad laughed and said, the rooster's not dead, it's just silly. It just You just batted it silly and it'll get back up on its own and be fine. And he was right. Well, he got home from the hospital and the first order of business was to get the rooster back into the chicken coop. And so he devised a plan 
that he would run on the side of the chicken that he had one good eye and one bad eye as a result of my mother's broomstick. Uh, and so he put me on the blind side of the rooster, and we proceeded to run this rooster back into the coop. Now, it's a silly story, but it's, it's a memory of mine where I was scared. I hated this rooster. I was scared to death of it. And the thought of having to work to get it back in the chicken coop was not something that I looked forward to at all. But what my dad did, even though he was still injured at this point, you know, he had his, his arm in a sling and all of this, he put himself in danger. He put himself on the dangerous side. He put me on the safe side. It's what dads do. And as a father, I have had the same desire to protect my own children, to put myself in danger and to protect them. However, as I have gotten older, I've realized that I have failed to do that in many ways and at many times. As a father, um, uh, they, have, uh, they have experienced things that I have failed to protect them from. They have experienced hurt and pain and difficulty that I either failed to protect them from or unknowingly, uh, because I was ignorant of the situation, failed to protect them from, that I was unable to, or that I simply didn't have the wisdom or the courage to do so. So even fathers with the best of intentions, even the best earthly fathers, if you have great memories of your father, there is no perfect father on earth. All of our fathers blew it to some degree or another. But our heavenly father is a perfect protector. And we see this in the passage today. We've seen this throughout Genesis, but it's uniquely present in this passage We see it in verse 3 when God visits Jacob to tell him to leave. Go back to Canaan, which Jacob knew was the long-term plan anyway. And Jacob had realized it was time to go. But God comes and makes it clear, it's time to go. Go back. And he adds these words, which he said to him over and over in the promise, I will be with you. Those are words of protection. We see it through the prosperity uh, of, 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 of giving to Jacob these flocks, of increasing the flocks to, to provide for Jacob so that he could provide for his family. And in verse 9, he explains to his wives, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. God did that. Jacob, we don't know what his heart's motive when he was out there cutting sticks, but he recognizes now God did that. Even God's providential protection of the family. We look at these two sisters coming together in a unity that we have yet to see with these two girls, these two ladies, right? They had fought like cats and dogs uh, through the previous years of having children, competing with one another, and yet here they come together for the first time in this united commitment. And we clearly see God's mighty arm of protection when he visits Laban and tells him not to harm Jacob in verse 24. See, we get the privilege of seeing God's protection as readers throughout this entire episode. But it's important for us to remember that the participants didn't always see God as protector. They didn't see what God was doing. Like our earthly father's protection, God's protection is often done in ways that we are unaware of. Sometimes we get to see it in hindsight. We get to look back and realize, oh, you know, he was protecting me. He was caring for me. That's why that happened. And at other times, we, we, we may not even be aware of it. But as we look back, we are confident in his preserving work that he has been protecting us and preserving us and loving us perfectly. No matter what kind of earthly father you had, 
All earthly fathers blow it to some degree or another. There's not a perfect one out there. But in Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God the Father. We are children of a perfect heavenly Father who never blows it, who protects us and will continue to protect us even when we can't see it or we struggle to believe it. Now, let me say one thing at the outset about our safety and about our protection. You know, if we were to define our safety and protection, it would be that we would never suffer, that we would never uh, suffer harm, that we would never face danger, that we would never be uncomfortable. That's our mindset of safety. Folks, that's heaven, okay? And until we get to heaven, that's not what the safety and protection looks like any more than it did for Jacob here in this story. So what is our safety and protection? Our safety and protection is a person. Our safety is Christ. He is our protection. He has knit us together in our mother's wombs. He has numbered our days. And he holds our lives in his hands. And so we must not think that being kept from a car accident or being mugged or being financially ruined or whatever it is that we fear, that that is actual safety because it's not. All of those things are temporary. I'm in the stage of life right now where I thank God when my kids get home because they're driving. And so I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that nothing happened. But things have happened. So how do I do that? Was God not protecting them in that moment when those things happened? No, he was protecting. He holds our lives in his hands. And our ultimate safety is what we're talking about here, that God will never let us go, that nothing can separate us from him. Ultimate protection by our God is being kept and preserved in him. And at the end of the day, that is what matters and that is what will last. And so beginning in verse 1, we see that the relationship between Jacob and Laban now is disintegrated. Uh, Jacob has exalted, I mean, he has worked and labored, and you get the sense of this in his discourse to Laban later in the chapter. He's done everything he can to make this work, and it's simply not going to work. The, the relationship has turned sour. If you've ever been in a situation like that where uh, either in a job or some other setting, you've realized that you just it, it's just run its course and, and, and things are done and, and you feel the sense of, of helplessness unless you can get it out, out of it. That was Jacob's situation. That There was nothing he could do to make things work with Laban. And he gives the whole list in his uh, kind of defense to Laban later uh, of all the things that he did. But not only had Laban's face turned against him, but Laban's sons had turned against Jacob as well because they were seeing the abundance that Jacob was accumulating and they thought of it as theft. They thought Jacob's stealing uh, from, from our dad what was rightfully ours. Uh, it was easy to observe, to see the increase in the number of sheep and the number of goats. And even though this is what Jacob and Laban had agreed to, in fact, when they agreed to it, we all uh, noticed that this was actually appeared to be in Laban's favor. It didn't appear, the agreement didn't appear to be in Jacob's favor, but it was only by God's providential work that it was in Jacob's favor, the increase of the sheep and the goats. And yet they still saw it as theft. Well, beyond that, Jacob realized that Laban's face was against him. That's the, the Hebrew phrase for what we read in verse 2. Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Uh, Laban's face was against him. Have you ever had somebody whose face turned against you? And you know the sourness that comes with that. The relationship had simply run its course and Jacob had exhausted all efforts. 
Well, to add to that, God confirms to Jacob that the time has come to go. He visits him in a dream and says to him, return to the land of your fathers in verse 3 and return to your kindred and I will be with you. Now, you can imagine how bolstering this was for Jacob's faith that You know, he had this feeling that things weren't working out, that it was time to move on, that things had really come to an end. Uh, But was was it the right time to go? Was was Canaan in the right location? Was he supposed to go somewhere else? I mean, he knew Canaan was the final location, but, well, have you ever been in that situation? You know, is this the right job? Is this the right move? Do I pick up my family? Do I go? And I have been in those situations and often uh, joked that... uh, you know, it sure would be nice if, if God, God visited me in a dream and said, this is what you're supposed to do. And, and that's what we want, right? We want this really clear direction that Jacob gets here. Well, it gives him courage. It gives him courage to, to lead. We see that when he calls Rachel and Leah out to speak to them. It's really the first time we see Jacob respond as a leader in his own home. Um, everyone can identify at some level the challenge that it is to lead. Even if it's just to lead your own life, to make decisions for your own life, to, 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 to determine the direction to go or the timing to go or whatever. And confidence plays a key role in that. And here Jacob is bolstered with this confidence from God that this is the way to go. You're to go to Cain. Now is the time to go. And while we all wish that we had that, I would include myself, I would love if God would send me a text message when I had big decisions to make and said, do this or do that. Um, don't be jealous of Jacob, but realize what you and I have. Yeah, Jacob got a dream, but you and I have the word of God. Jacob didn't have the whole word of God like we had, the whole canon that we have. You see, we actually have the story of Jacob to go back to. We have the story of Jacob to realize that God had been protecting him all along, even when he didn't have eyes to see it, even when he wouldn't acknowledge it, that God had been his protector. We have all of the promises that God has given to us in Scripture, and we have God revealed in the flesh, Jesus, uh, given to us in and through the Scriptures, that we know him and all that is ours in him. If you are trying to lead in your own strength apart from the Word of God, you will only be able to lead as far as the strength that you have. This is true in all of life, even again, if you're only leading yourself. We need the unquestionable truth of God's word to give us the courage to lead, to make wise decisions, to make healthy decisions, to make good decisions. And so we ought to thank God for his word, but also make sure that we're in his word so that we can have the courage to lead. Well, Jacob lays out his case to his two wives. He calls them out into the field and some think that it was for the, for, you know, kind of an object lesson. Come out into the field. Look at all the, the sheep. Look at all the goats. Look at how God has, has a, a, a given this abundance. I think that's partly true. I think another reason why he went out in the field was not to be heard. It was just to, to, so no one would overhear what the plan was because he did this secretly. Um, and he makes the case before Rachel and Leah. He says that, uh, that he has worked for Laban, verse six, with all of his strength. Jacob has really given it his all. Not perfectly. We know Jacob's not perfect. But we also know that Laban is uh, less than just in terms of his uh, authority as a boss. He says that Laban no longer regards him with favor. And I have to ask the question, did Laban ever regard him with favor? Uh, Laban might have been cordial to Jacob when he needed something from him, but I would not ever describe Laban as having 
regarded him with favor. And then beginning in verse 5 becomes the testimony of God as his protector. You know, this is what we've been looking for in Jacob's life. This maturity, this growth to acknowledge who God is that was so absent in the previous chapters and the previous stories of Jacob's life. And now we see it. Look in verse 5. The God of my father has been with me. He acknowledges that God has been his protector. Verse 6. God did not permit him to harm me. He has kept him from uh, danger. God has taken away the livestock. Verse 9. Of your father and given them to me. God was his provider. And then in verse 12, God is speaking to Jacob in a dream. And we know that this dream occurred back in time. This was a dream that had occurred before. Jacob's recounting that dream in this passage. I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. And so this is a picture of God's protection, how he protects us. First of all, he's with us. We're never alone. He never leaves us or forsakes us. For those of us who are trusting Christ in faith, his spirit lives within us and nothing can separate us from him. He is with us. He protects us from true harm. Again, nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can break that relationship or sever that relationship. He accomplishes the work, even when we think we've done it ourselves or we've worked really hard to do it ourselves. It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of Seth. Right, That God is the one that's producing the fruit and the abundance in our lives. And also, uh, the fourth thing, he recognizes wrongs done to us. And I would imagine that all of you have had that experience to some degree or another where you've been sinned against and you long for someone to uh, recognize that injustice. And God sees it. He tells him, I've seen all that Laban has been doing to you. These are all things that we see God do for his children. And because God doesn't change, because he is faithful, when we look back to how he cared for Jacob, we know that he also cares for us. But we have to recognize something. That protection, that care, that safety that we so long for doesn't always look the way we want it to or that we think it should. We know that he's always with us. We would say that. But there are times we don't feel it. Wouldn't we be telling the truth if we confess there are times where we feel like God's a million miles away? We know He protects us from true or ultimate harm that nothing can separate us from Him. And yet, He allows us to go through some awful stuff. Stuff that we're scratching our heads going, Lord, why? Why do I have to endure this? Why won't you take this away? Why would you deal with this? Sometimes we think our hard work and efforts have produced something. And we fail to see His gracious power at work within us. And there are times where we experience sin done against us that God seems to ignore. And we ask, God, where is your justice? Why won't you vindicate us? These can be our experiences. And it can seem like God is failing to protect us. And what you have to do in times where you feel like God is failing to protect you is go back to Jacob's story and remember the 20 years that preceded this. 20 years that he worked for Laban. 14 for Rachel, for Le- well, for Leah, and then for Rachel. And then those six years for the, for the flock. 20 years that we saw, he, he, he didn't acknowledge God's protection. He didn't see it. He couldn't see it. But all the while, God was doing this work. He was protecting him. As we look at just those four examples. But at the time, Jacob didn't see it. He didn't acknowledge it. He didn't feel it. 
just like at times we don't. But it doesn't change the truth that God is near and He's protecting and He keeps us safe. Just as it is true for Jacob and his family, so it is true for us. God is faithfully protecting us, working all things together in a way that keeps us safe and will ultimately deliver us to our final protection where we will be safe forevermore. Well, both sisters agree with their husband on this. They acknowledge how they feel like foreigners in their own home country. They actually say their dad has made them feel like foreigners because of the way he's treated them. And in particular, they focus on how he has devoured their inheritance. We know that Laban is deceptive, but we also know that Laban has been, he's preoccupied with wealth and money. That's ever since he saw the, the servant come for Rebecca and he saw those gold bracelets, that's been the thing that has lit his light, eyes up, right? He, that's what he wants. And as is often the case with such people, enough is never enough. And so he has not only tried and, and tried to grasp, but he has consumed it all in the process. And both girls now have nothing to inherit. And so they commit themselves to Jacob and they say to him, whatever God has said to you, do it. Now, Rachel and Leah may not have understood the breadth of God's protection at this point, but they are recipients of it by the covenant. They couldn't see it, but the blessings and the promises of Yahweh to Jacob would overflow to them as well. And they would be safe because of their relationship with him. And just in the same way, you and I are safe in Christ. Even if you can't see it or feel it, Jesus is safety. He is protection. He holds your very life, and heaven will be the final proof of this. Well, Jacob capitalized this now. He's got his wives on board with him, his family. He's ready to go, and Laban has gone off to shear the sheep. This is the perfect time. And so he packs up his family on camels, and he with the herdsmen begin driving the flocks, and they start heading to Canaan. In verse 19 and 20, we see this interesting play on words. We read, Laban had gone to shear his sheep and Rachel stole her father's household gods and Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. The word there for tricked in verse 20 literally means to steal the heart of. Jacob stole the heart of Laban. It's an idiom. But what we have then is, Rachel stole Laban's gods, and Jacob stole Laban's heart. And what you see in that is a bit of irony, in that this little man who thought he was this king of his own little kingdom, who had his gods who were impotent and couldn't do a thing for him, uh, the ones in whom he, he trusted, the ones that he worshipped, the ones that he went to for probably for divination when he looked to see what Jacob was going to do, They were all packed in the saddle upon which Rachel sat, and they were completely helpless. They couldn't even reveal their location to Jacob when he, or to Laban rather, when he went looking for them. They were completely powerless. Laban, who thought he had all the power in his own heart, had his very heart and the gods in whom he trusted stolen right from out from under him. And so we can understand then why he reacted in anger, why he reacted in rage. See, anger comes, it bubbles out of us. We have little cute phrases to say things like, this made me mad or that made me mad, but things don't make us mad. Anger comes out of our hearts. When we don't get something that we want or something that we want is taken from us. Or we could say something we think is ours. 
That was what Laban kept saying. I mean, he kept saying that Rachel and Leah and the grandchildren, they all belonged to him. The flocks all belonged to him. He didn't even have eyes to see that they weren't even his. And so this anger erupts out of his heart. And he goes to Jacob with the power of his extended family. He put together a little militia of people to go, small military force, and he overtakes him. Uh, He is ready to fight. And the initial words as Jacob confronts him, or or that that he confronts to Jacob are, what have you done? Look in verse 26. What have you done? Do you recognize those words? Those were, the, those were the very words that Jacob said to him when he woke up in the morning and realized that he had switched Rachel and Leah on his wedding night. What have you done? It's these words of, that are they're, they're exclaiming something, but they're accusing at the same time. What have you done? What have you done? Laban goes on to suggest that if only Jacob had come to him, he would have sent him away with a party, with music, with fanfare. As one, I got really tickled at this because this past week, um, one, Anna Grace and I were riding and a, a George Strait song came on about uh, some oceanfront property in Arizona that I'd like to sell you. And, uh, and so we had a conversation about why that's funny because there is no oceanfront in Arizona. Well, as I'm reading about this passage, I thought of this very thing. Like, you know, yeah, Laban was going to send him away with a party. Sure. Uh, if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you. Well, one of the commentators that I read, Ian Dugan, this week said that very thing. He said, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you if you believe it. And Jacob knew better too. And Rachel and Leah knew better. And Jacob told him in verse 31, I was afraid of you. And his fear was justified. Even though Laban is angry here, Jacob did leave secretly. There is no doubt about that. Laban is the abuser, right? Jacob is the victim. He's not perfect. Sometimes victims are not perfect, but no less makes them a victim. And Jacob here is the victim. He notes how well he served Laban, that he he worked hard, that he even took losses upon himself when uh, animals attacked, and that normally would not have been the responsibility under the codes of the land of that day. And yet Laban continually mistreated him. Jacob's fear of Laban was validated. Look in verse 41. He says, These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. He calls him out. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. That rebuke that he's speaking about, of course, is the dream that Laban had in which God came to him and said, don't harm, don't say anything good or bad, don't harm Jacob and his family. And again, we see a little bit of the humor in this and that the gods of Laban who were packed in this box, who were mute and impotent, could not even reveal themselves to Laban as he goes on this search throughout the tents. But the God of Jacob speaks and Laban obeys. The God of Jacob speaks And Laban knows not to harm Jacob. Laban tried to make his case. He tried to argue that all those things belong to him. But Jacob's a better lawyer. And his closing arguments in this moment show that the judge had already passed judgment and Laban had been found guilty as charged. The condemning statement of proof is throughout the story, right? We see it that Laban has been this abusive boss 
to Jacob. But it's most clear in that final statement, if the God of my father had not been by my side. The God of my father had not been by my side. Laban hadn't seen it. Rachel and Leah hadn't seen it. Jacob hadn't seen it or acknowledged it for some time. But now they could all see that the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, the God who strikes awe, that's what that means, is the one who rules and reigns sovereignly to protect. And that sovereign reign of the Almighty God would continue to protect Jacob. And you see it in this treaty. Laban's the one that initiates the treaty. He recognizes, I don't have a leg to stand on. I have no hope. I cannot stand up against. It wasn't Jacob. Jacob wasn't the one with the army. Laban had come with his little mini army. But he recognized that Jacob's God was one of power and might. It's the same picture that we saw. Remember this with Abraham and with Isaac. Those two episodes with the kings of the Philistines who came and they acknowledged that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac was too powerful and they entered into treaties so that they could be protected. Even though they didn't fear and believe in the true God, they recognized his sovereign power and Laban does the same thing. He concedes his loss and Jacob is vindicated. The stones are set in place to mark a place of treaty and protection. What a beautiful picture of God as our protector. All the while, and we noted it as we went through the story, right? Jacob just doesn't seem to get it. He's not living as a man of faith. He's walking like he's an orphan. But all the while, God had been protecting him. And in hindsight, we're able to see that. And so whatever it is that you're going through today, that's true for you as well, that God is protecting you, even if you don't have eyes to see it or feel it, or it feels like everything's fallen off uh, the edge of the cliff. God is still your protector. There's one more thing that's worth considering about this story, and that is... It's a parallel. It's a parallel to another story that we see in Scripture. It's a parallel to a story that has yet to happen. It's actually a parable parallel to two other stories. But the first one is, it's a parallel to the story of the Exodus. When God delivered his people from the Pharaoh. Think of it. Jacob and his family were under an oppressive master, just as the people of Israel were under Pharaoh. Jacob had to persuade his family to follow his lead, just as Moses did, to lead the people out of Egypt. Jacob had to confront his harsh uh, dictator boss, just as Moses had to confront Pharaoh. The destination of both groups, the same place. It's the promised land. And both groups plundered their captors, leaving with great wealth, not because of anything they did or any uh, uh, wit or strength that they had, but solely because of the sovereign hand of God. Both were pursued and were overtaken by their captors following their departure, and then both were delivered by the saving hand of God. And that one other parallel, even more than the Exodus, is the parallel of the story of our redemption. That we were dead in our sins, captive to its power. We, saw, we see Jesus confront sin and death in our place. We see him defeat our captor, Satan. We see that he conquered both at the cross rescued us from darkness, bringing us into the kingdom of His light. Great wealth is ours in Christ. He has plundered all of this earth and all that has been created. And everything is ours in an inheritance with Him. And heaven is a proof of our ultimate deliverance, our ultimate safety, and our protection. God, our protector, not only saves us, but keeps us safe. 
and we are safe in him. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we see you as our good protector. And may we believe that even when it doesn't make sense, when we don't feel protected, when we feel like life is falling apart, or we feel like other people are wronging us and they're not being stopped, or that there has been uh, other injustices that have been done to us that we are, are not vindicated from, or whether it is we just don't have answers. Lord, would we see you as our protector, that we would be able to look back at Jacob's experience, that for 20 years, even though he didn't have eyes to see it, you were protecting him all along. And may we look back in our lives and see your good protection, but may we also look forward in faith and know that in you we are safe. May we not look to our circumstances thinking that somehow that means we're safe, but may we look to Jesus alone who is our safety. And may we trust in him alone as we face whatever it is that's in front of us or whatever it is that's about to be in front of us, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from you, that there's nothing that can sever our relationship with you. Lord, make us confident, remove fear, give us courage, knowing that you are our safety. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.